A reading from the book of Acts. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and the Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning again. <laughs> If you would, please bow your heads with me as I share one more brief word of prayer before we dive into this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. What's well, great to be with you on this cool fall morning. I love this weather. Uh, this fall, we've been making our way through the books of, book of Acts, as I shared earlier. And this book is written by a doctor named Luke. He wrote a first volume called The Gospel of Luke. And that was all about the Savior of love. And he wrote a second volume called Acts, or The Acts of the Apostles. And this is all about the mission of love. God sending the early church, God sending you and me to a world in need. Today's message is titled, What's Possible? And I want to begin with this question. Have you ever considered what could happen in life if you didn't give up? I came across this story earlier this week. It's about a satellite named Pioneer 10 a NASA space probe that was launched in 1972. And I have a picture of this space probe. 
uh, here up on the screens. It weighed just over 500 pounds. And here's how the story was captured about Pioneer 10 by author Craig Brian Larson. In 1972, NASA launched the exploratory space probe Pioneer 10. According to Leon Jareff in Time, the satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph the planet and its moons, and beam data to Earth about Jupiter's magnetic field, radiation belts in the atmosphere. Scientists regarded this as a bold plan, for at that time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars. And they feel, feared the asteroid belt would destroy Pioneer 10 before it could reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and much, much more. Swinging past the giant planet in November 1973, Jupiter's immense gravity hurled Pioneer 10 at a higher rate of speed towards the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At two billion miles, it hurled past Uranus. Neptune at nearly three billion miles. Pluto at almost four billion miles. By 1997, 25 years after its launch, Pioneer 10 was more than 6 billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on Earth. Perhaps most remarkable, writes Jeriff, those signals emanate from an 8-watt transmitter, which radiates about as much power as a bedroom nightlight and takes more than nine hours to reach Earth. The little satellite that could was not qualified to do what it did. Engineers designed Pioneer 10 with a useful life of just three years. But it kept going and going. By simple longevity, its tiny 8-watt transmitter radio accomplished more than anyone thought possible. Isn't that an incredible story? 25 years later, with a little night light wattage, was still transmitting signals back to Earth, and it just kept going and going and going. And I think that speaks to the heart of our passage. Have you ever considered what could happen or what could be accomplished if you kept going and going in your faith? Better yet, have you ever considered what could be accomplished if we kept going and going as a church, bold and united in our faith. I think the big idea from Acts 4, the end of Acts 4, is this. The most daunting moments in life ignite the most dynamic movements of love in God's economy. Let me repeat that. The most daunting moments in life ignite the most dynamic movements of love in God's economy. And we'll see this morning that we're called with one voice to pray, with one power to proclaim, and with one heart to provide for the gospel and keep going and going and going. So let's dive in. Point one, 
With one voice we are called to pray. The passage begins, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said. When they heard this, they raised their voices. Certain translations say, With one accord or with harmony together. In prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. Rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So for those who weren't with us over the last couple of weeks, let me catch you up as to where we're at in our story. What happened is God loved a band of misfits. And he said, I'm calling you misfits to go bring my love to the world. But you're going to have to pray. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to fill you and to send you. Acts chapter 2, there's this thing called Pentecost, this moment. And it changes everything. They're filled, all these misfits, with the Holy Spirit and with the love of God. And they can't help but share that love. And the message starts gaining traction and Peter and John are walking to the temple after Pentecost and they see a lame man from birth begging for money. And they say, we don't have any money, but we do have uh, the name of Jesus. So in his name, rise up. And there's this miraculous healing. Some people begin to praise God. Some people actually began to be turned off. And in fact, Peter and John, because of this act and proclamation of Jesus, guess what? Good news, you're arrested. They're thrown in jail overnight by the very people that sent Jesus to the crucifixion. We talked last week about how the gospel is disturbing. It's daring. It's devoted. And so finally, they're released from jail. And here's where we pick up the story. And I love how it starts. It says, out of jail and out of their trial, they run back where? To their own people. And note this, in the face of danger, the apostles don't just run away, they run to prayer. They run to prayer, and they don't run in prayer by themselves with their fear. They run to their own people to the people of God, and it says with one accord, they raise their voices. Imagine that moment. They're not running away. They're running to God in prayer. And note also in the face of danger, they don't seek safety. They seek strength. Now, flex to our lives here today, here and now. If you're facing hardship today, might it be that God wants to use your life to display his strength and his glory? Might it be that God's saying, don't run away, but run to me in prayer? 
Might it be that he's saying, I'm with you, I'll never forsake you. Don't just cry out for safety, cry out for strength to be bold with my love in this moment, whatever you're facing. So whatever you're walking in with today, that's the way the early church, they didn't run away, they ran to prayer. They didn't run to safety or cry for safety, they cried out for strength. Might it be that in your marriage, in your home, in your school, in your classroom, God is saying, come to me. Find strength and support and hope and love through me. And stand up. Point one is this. With one voice, like the early church, we're all called to pray, no matter what we're facing. Point two is this. With one power, we're called to proclaim. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and guess what? They're filled again through prayer in Acts 4. It's supposed to be a continual cycle where God is filling us up and sending us out. And it reminds me, for some, you know my story. In 2006, we were living in Florida. I was running a counseling center, a counseling network for all these different churches in Florida. And we received a call from New England. Would you consider doing what you're doing there up here? And we said, no, we're not interested. Um, we, we don't feel led to move to New England. Nonetheless, we accepted an invitation and we flew up there. And I think one of our kids was just a couple months old, Blaze. And uh, even as we flew up, people were looking at us like, gosh, this is a big leap for such a young family. And I said, exactly. That's why we don't think we're supposed to move. But they said, would you pray? So we prayed. And we felt God calling us, calling me to start this counseling hub for the kind of New England, the greater New York City area. And so we do this renovation on an old, beautiful chapel called Stanwich Chapel. It's a couple hundred years old. It's a picturesque building. And every Tuesday morning, uh, one of my board members and a pastor and I would get together and pray. And we, we would pray that God would send his healing into that region of the country. And he would bring about revival, transforms hearts and homes in New England. And believe it or not, nothing was really happening. Have you ever been there in prayer where you're crying out and God's like, it's silence. Is there really a God? But nonetheless, I had accepted the job, and I read in the scripture, we're called to pray, and, and slowly some people started to come for counseling, and we were different, doing different recovery groups, divorce, addiction, and, uh, and we'd continue to pray. And I kid you not that one, one day, just like this, there were huge bay windows all along the sides of the church. One day it was calm like this, and the whole building did this. And we're opening our eyes thinking we're going to die from an earthquake, right? And then it stopped. And we're looking at each other. And later we would discover there was no earthquake. 
that happened. And God started to break through. Within a year of praying every week with these gentlemen, something happened in that area of the country that affected everyone in this room. Do you remember what happened? 2008 and 9 in Wall Street? Things collapsed. The bubble burst. There's a mortgage-backed crisis. Before you know it, the CEO of Lehman Brothers and the CEO of Bear Stearns are walking, literally, they lived in the neighborhood, in front of our building, heads down, grieving. Before you know it, honest to God, thousands of people started coming to our center for counseling help. Before you know it, all these different recovery groups are launching around Westchester County, Fairfield County. Do we have anyone in here from around Fairfield County? I see you over there. Shout out, shout out. Before you know it, we had these executive and transition groups for the highest level leaders in our world, C-suite executives, CEOs, CFOs, COOs. They were meeting in private, doing what? Crying out to God together. And it all started in prayer. God sending his power to bring healing and revival. Who here was on the women's retreat a month or two ago here in the church? It's so interesting that Katie, who helped lead worship on their retreat, she said there's kind of a revival going on now in New England. There was this oppression and this division, but now there's this unity in the gospel. God is moving, and I know the source of that unity. I know the source of that revival. I was in the building when it shook. And this is what Jesus promised the early church, and he promises us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Faithful living is not about ability. It's about availability. Especially for a Daniel Island crowd, Charleston crowd, it's not about prestige, it's about proximity to God. Earlier in Acts 4, John and Peter, they're standing up with boldness, and, and the chief priests are saying, clearly, these are just ordinary men, but they've spent time with Jesus. And it begs the question, are you spending time with him? In prayer, seeking his power for the proclamation he set before each one of us in our church. And just as a word picture for Blaze and some of the younger folk in the room, it says in Acts 4, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This word power comes from this Greek word dunamis. It's the root word where we get dynamite. Anyone like fireworks? They were filled with the power of the Lord. They were filled with dynamite. I grew up in Little Polk County. This is not safe. I don't endorse it, but I confess it this morning. We grew up with these little uh, sticks of basically dynamite um, called Roman candles. Anyone know what a Roman candle is? And I know some of you small town people, you're like, yeah, we got them in the car. Um, Anyway, so we, we would, uh, July 4th, we'd, we'd light these little sticks of dynamite or fireworks sticks, whatever you want to call them. And the way they work is you light the top and you hold this stick and, and uh, flames and sparks start coming out. And next thing you know, it's like, boom, 
And there's these balls of fire that just explode up into the air. Poof, poof, poof. And everyone around, it's magical. And I always thought these are probably dangerous. They are dangerous. A certain NFL player blew off part of his hand, and he's now suffering on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not because of that, but just because he's on the Buccaneers. Anyway, going back to the sermon, I think the picture here is we're filled with that kind of power and electricity where we're igniting the sky. We're igniting the landscape of those around us with the love of Jesus. I came across this Hillsong song, Another in the Fire. It reminds me of what the lyricist is saying. There's another in the fire standing next to me. There's another in the waters holding back the seas. Should I ever need reminding what power set me free? There is a grave that holds no body, and now that power lives in me. Amen? You see, with one power, we are called to proclaim the gospel. And then point three, with one heart, we're called to provide, provide for the gospel. The passage concludes, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. With one heart, we are called to provide for the gospel. Uh, last week, our son Blaze, he shared this story to his mother, and I asked permission for us to hear it today. He saved up his money for this little gadget. I know we're probably all saving up our money for this exact gadget. Um, there is something called a fidget spinner. Anyone know what a fidget spinner is? Yeah, this is, it's basically a little toy with a ball bearing, and you can hold it in your hands, and it starts to spin. Well, this takes it to a new level. This is a fidget toy, and, and the idea is you can just kind of walk around doing this. I, for some reason, Blaze thought this was the most amazing thing ever. He saved up his money, ordered it online, and he got it. And then a friend at school said, hey, can, can I try that? And he said, Sure. And so he watches his friend play with his new toy. And he said, something happened, Mom. Something happened, Dad. Chills started going down the back of my head and down the back of my neck. And it was the best feeling ever. And then uh, when they gave me back the toy, I tried to create the chills, recreate the chills. It couldn't happen. But I noticed when I let others play with the toy, the chills came back. You see, what Blaze was experiencing is the joy of generosity. And that's what the early church was experiencing. You see, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our assets move from being treasures to tools in advancing the gospel. 
Let me repeat that. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our treasures, excuse me, our assets, the things we own, our money and such, move from being treasures to tools in advancing the gospel. And I want us to note the extravagance in the direction of the generosity in the early church. These people were selling possessions, homes, fields, and they were bringing it and putting it, it says multiple times, at the feet of the apostles. They're bringing it into the church. And believe it or not, this early church was trying to live radically into the idea of uh, what it would mean to be a covenantal community. You see, in the Old Testament, there's this thing called a year of Jubilee and other instructions where God's people are instructed to uh, eliminate poverty within the family and to help alleviate poverty outside the family. And they said, well, of course, we're going to do that. And, and it was contagious, one after another after another. It doesn't mean that they sold every single thing they had. As we will see elsewhere in Scripture, they still met in homes and such. But they, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to say, God, it's all yours. How can we come together and advance the gospel? And it makes me, it makes our family ask this question. Is God's grace powerfully displayed in our giving to our church? And I think it's one of these passages where you have to step back and ask, is God's grace powerfully displayed in how I give and model generosity in my family and in my life? I came across a letter that was written by one of you three years ago. I'm going to keep it anonymous, but I want to read from it. It's someone's giving testimony. Now here's what I think that's so amazing about the Dana Island Fellowship. We are attracting folks at all stages of their walk with Christ. We have a population that's been part of church their entire lives. I find that very encouraging. The fact that we have tested believers calling the Dana Island Fellowship home is a validation of our theology. We also have a population at the Dana Island Fellowship of folks who've never been churched and are totally new to this Jesus thing. That's also amazing. That proves the message is resonating. And finally, we have a lot of folks like me, people who were raised in a Christian home, regularly attended church, yet had moved away from organized faith as an adult. Again, crazy exciting that these folks are drawn to the Daniel Island Fellowship because that validates something that is different here. The diversity of faith journeys at our church is what makes this place so special. This is what we all sense but struggle to name. Based on the fact that each one of you keeps coming back and new families keep showing up, validates something special is going on here. I believe it validates this is a place where all feel welcomed. However, this diversity of faith uh, journeys also pre presents a bit of a problem when it comes to church finances. You see, most folks who are just getting into church or just getting back to church absolutely cringe when they hear they're expected by God to give 10% of their income. Personally, I woke up one day about 38 years old with three kids, a wife, a mortgage, two cars, and a needy dog. And my wife tells me we need to increase our giving. She wanted us giving 10% of our income away. And my response was, what? 
Excuse me? Are you kidding me? We could never give away 10% of our income. I work off commission. How could we possibly commit to a number when I don't even know how much I will make? But she kept pushing, and she didn't give up. And it took some time, but we eventually compromised. I came up with a number that I thought we could swing, and then I agreed we would increase that tithe by 10% every year until we achieved the total tithe of being faithful to the Bible at 10%. Here's the amazing thing. As we gave more and more, it became less of a burden and became something that I actually feel blessed me. Think about it. How satisfying is it for you when you give someone a gift they absolutely love? For me, that's what makes the Dana Island Fellowship, that's what giving to the Dana Island Fellowship has become. It's like I get to give the most awesome gift every time I come into the building, every time I chat with each one of you, every time I see a new face walking through these doors, every time I sit back in utter amazement and watch God at work, I'm at the point where I wish I could give more. The late Charles Spurgeon says this about generosity. In all of my years of service to the Lord, I've discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. You see, is God's grace powerfully displayed in my giving, in our giving? And how about as a church? Is our, is our church powerfully displaying the grace of God and how we handle our finances? N.T. Wright says it like this, what you do with your money and possessions declares loudly what sort of community you are. And the statement made by the early church's practice was clear and definite. No wonder they were able to give such a powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. I shared this yesterday at the Hog and Harvest Festival, but I want to just share and celebrate something that's going on in our church. This fall, our church has given over $80,000 to mission work and church plants in Charleston and around the world. And for such a young church, that is incredible. We have supported, this fall, we're supporting uh, Hope Repair, which goes to the poorest of the poor in our city to help them have safe, dry, and warm accommodations. We're serving the elderly population around our city through different outreaches. We are one of the leading supporters for racial reconciliation efforts in our city. We are supporting a group called Lifeline Children's Ministries that cares for the orphans in the foster, foster care system and those seeking to adopt in our city and beyond our city. We're supporting Charleston Young Life that reaches youth in ways we can't reach youth. We're supporting the Low Country Pregnancy Center so that moms know what they're doing and can make that decision to keep that baby and we can circle around them and encourage them in that process. We're supporting a woman that goes faithfully to Kenya all throughout the year to the very bush of Kenya. You can't even find it on the internet. Why? To bring the grace of God to kids and families. We're supporting InterVarsity to, uh, through a leader in the back of the room that helps support and train over 350 campus ministers across the United States. 
and we're supporting Providencia Church, a church in South Florida, helping lead the refugee crisis following the hurricane in the Bahamas this fall. God is moving mightily through this church. And it's only going to continue. For those who have been faithful with us in your generosity, I just want to say thank you. And for those who are new with us, are still figuring it all out, I'd say join us. Join us in this movement of what God is doing. You see, with one heart, we are called to provide. So in summary, the most daunting moments in life ignite the most dynamic movements of love in God's economy. With one voice, we're called to pray. With one power, we're called to proclaim. And with one heart, we're called to provide. Have you ever considered what could be accomplished if you kept going and going in your faith? And have you ever considered what could be accomplished if we kept going and going as a church bold and united in our faith? Absolutely anything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the example of the early church how they went to you in prayer, how you filled them with power, and how with one heart they provided for the gospel. God, I pray that you would light us on fire, fill us up this morning. For those of us facing hardship, may we trust in you in prayer. Would you give us not just safety, but strength? God, for those of us who are running on empty, would you fill us up with your power? May we be patient in this endeavor. And God, for those of us, no matter what we have, who call you Lord and Savior, may we be faithful with our first and our best and see what you can do in our church. We give you all our all and our everything. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.